Welcome to Hospitality Forward. My name is Hana Lee. I am president and founder of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency specialized in hospitality and travel. We love storytelling and building national and global brands for spirits, cocktail bars, restaurants, hotels, and destinations. And I'm Michael Ann Stendig, editor-in-chief at Hana Lee Communications and a food and beverage writer. This podcast is for hospitality and travel professionals who want to learn how to earn the media spotlight. As a journalist myself and Hannah as a PR professional, we understand the power of media coverage and its positive impact on someone's career and business. That's why we're undertaking this Giving Back to the Community initiative. So tune in every week to hear us interview top journalists who share their insights and tips. Hannah and I are also the authors and producers of our agency's first book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, which is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and independent bookstores nationwide. Actually, it was just rated the best book of 2021 by Barnes & Noble. Each week, we give away a copy of The Japanese Art of the Cocktail to our listeners, so please share a pitching tip you found most interesting from our episode and email us at info at hanaleecommunications.com. That's I-N-F-O at H-A-N-N-A-L-E-E communications with an S dot com. And remember to have hospitality forward in the subject line for a chance to win a book. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Lila Raptopoulos, host of the FT Weekend podcast, which brings the Financial Times' life and arts coverage to audio. The podcast explores today's culture, big ideas, nuanced questions and how to live a good life, and features FT journalists and special guests. Lila is also the U.S. Head of Audience Engagement for the Financial Times and writes U.S. Culture Stories. Hi, Lila. So great to see you. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Hannah and Michael. Thank you for having me. It's a real privilege. The privilege is ours. So let's jump right in. How'd you get into journalism and what do you like most about being a writer? Um, first, I just want to say um, I've really been enjoying this show. It's just like a nice opportunity for me to think about the relationship I have with story ideas and pitches and um, and your industry. So thank you. Um I always loved journalism. I was thinking about this recently and sort of middle school, high school, college. I was always on my school newspaper, running my school newspaper. And um, I think I love most the curiosity that you're always learning something new, that you're trying to figure out what matters about it. You're trying to kind of figure out the puzzle of how to share that story in a way that interests others as much as it interests you. Um and then the platform you have to share stories that matter with people who will then be thinking about it or able to take action off of it um, is kind of an honor. It's like that comes along with it and, and feels like a responsibility, too, that I like. For our listeners, can you tell us about the Financial Times? So how has it evolved, especially during the pandemic? Sure. Um, so the Financial Times focuses on business and economic affairs, uh, but it's also a generalist news source and um, has incredible politics reporting and a really vibrant, award-winning life and arts section called FT Weekend, which is where I spend most of my time. Because it's so global and 
full of so many brilliant people. Its main hub is in London, but our audience is all over the world. We have about 700 journalists all over the world in about 40 countries. And what would you say makes an FT story an FT story? And what sets the publication apart from other business outlets? Well, because it's so global, our reporting is often connecting the dots big picture and it's motivated by a bigger question. It's the why, right? That a lot of sort of like the why, how does it fit into the world that we're living in now? How does it fit into the politics? How does it fit into the culture that it's in? Sort of what's the big arc? You started at the Financial Times in 2016. So how did you land your job? <laughs> um, it was as many things as are a combination of, of uh, luck and timing and, and hard work. I was living in London. Um, I was working at, with The Guardian. I was also freelancing about the human side of the financial crisis um, uh, in Greece. I was going back and forth to Greece in 2015. The banks were all closed and it was a real nightmare there. Um, and I have family there and I know it well. So um, I was doing that and I was very interested in community journalism and using readers to help reporting and telling sort of um, human stories behind the news. And um, and I joined the FT as a community editor, um, as sort of doing that work of involving our readers in the reporting that we were doing and building community around our journalism. Um, and my career has taken on a number of new adventures <laughs> since then. Well, speaking of new adventures, you are the U.S. head of audience engagements. So what exactly does that role entail? My job is sort of split right now between a few things. The one that's probably most relevant is hosting the FT Weekend podcast, which we can talk more about. Um, but U.S. head of audience engagement is I'm running a small team of editors that run our social media accounts and think strategically about how to grow our readership and build engagement in the U.S. from an editorial point of view. So I actually do think a lot about what probably you think a lot about, Hannah, which is how to angle a story to be most interesting to readers, what makes an audience click um, and want to read something or engage with it, um, how to build community around something. And I, I bring that knowledge into the podcast, too. Your point of view, you you cover culture for the most part. Mm -hmm. and. Given the FT's focus on finance and business, how is that reflected in what you write about? So FT Weekend is both the place where there's space for long-form journalism. So takes our news pages and expands, often tells the human stories behind them. Um, and it also is a place for lifestyle journalism, for food and restaurants and wine and film and books and architecture and art. I think of it as sort of the lean back activity, like FD is like your weekday morning coffee and weekend is like your Saturday flat white with your croissant that you kind of like. It's sort of the pleasure activity. What is it like to cover U.S. news for a U.K.-based publications with a global audience? Um, it's interesting. It's a different lens. It's a cool lens. I'm always looking for a story that will resonate globally. Uh, that will fit into those bigger questions that people may be thinking about. So if you're reading from Brussels and I'm writing about New York, um, it has to matter to you too. So it's less, even if it is about a restaurant, it can't just be about that restaurant opening um, because the audience is so global. It has to fit into some bigger bigger story or question or or trend. 
So it's like a um, local activation with a global perspective. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, th well, thank you. <laughs> so why, why don't we drill down into that thought a little bit more? Can you walk us through the whole process, uh, taking a, a story idea from concept through execution from start to finish? So because we're global, I rarely do sort of roundups or reviews as such. Um, and because I cover the gamut of culture, which is so broad, I'm looking for something so often that will help answer a question or make sense of things or touch on your sense of wonder. So I try not to approach the story straight on. So I'll use an example if that's okay. Uh, so Hannah, I met you actually through a magazine cover that I wrote about chefs coming out of the pandemic. With that piece, um, we made a podcast episode off of it as well, but it started with the question that my editor and I had, which was that chefs went through these and restaurateurs went through these existential questions like all of us did during the pandemic, um, maybe even more so because they were feeding hungry New Yorkers. They had to lay off so many people. Um, so we wanted to know how it changed them. And what was I seeing in New York? What were the ways they were grappling with this question of how to be good? It's not only about Michelin stars now. What does it mean to do good? What did they feel was their responsibility? How did they choose? Um, so we had those questions. I had those questions. And then I needed to start following some chefs. I started with the people I knew. There was a neighborhood restaurant, Olmsted, and a chef there, Greg Backstrom. I had been passing his restaurant through the pandemic and seeing in the window, and it was interesting to me. So I knew I wanted to talk to him. Obviously, Daniel Hume, he had the buzziest decision for 11 Madison Park to go vegan, obviously the most well-known, so I knew I wanted to speak with him. I wrote a PR person I had worked with before. She had written me with an idea that didn't quite work, and I said I was doing this, and if she had any thoughts, I knew that um, it would have been very easy in, in any industry to end up accidentally with like a story with four white men, <laughs> and, uh, and this industry has so much more than that. And so they put me in touch with you, Hannah, um, and Overthrow Hospitality, and uh, sort of the vegan little mini empire that uh, they were creating in the East Village, which was really interesting. The pitch was really great. Um, that became part of the story. And then there was another group called Migrant Kitchen. I think I had read about them in Eater. I followed them on Instagram. So these are the sorts of things that, I, if this helps, these are the sorts of ways that um, things come to me when I'm trying to figure out stories. Um, and, uh, and so I reached out to them too. So from a story point of view, I like not having people on in a traditional way. It would have been easy maybe to go to Daniel Hume and have him tell me the story of his career or the story of Love in Madison Park. And the goal here was that we were all trying to answer this bigger question together. And so in that exercise, you end up learning just as much about who these people are and what matters to them. But also it means they grow off script a little bit more. They tell you something new. It's sort of uh, interesting for them. It's interesting for you. And it makes for a nice story. Your story not only included the world famous chef, Daniel Hum, but also, you know, very unknown chef like a Chef Shinari from Cadence and along with Ravi. So it was a beautiful piece. And thanks again for spotlighting all various of people from their career and um, their achievements. So uh, thank you. Yeah, that meant a lot to me. So thank you. I appreciate that. All right, so let's move on to something that we all love, 
podcasting. <laughs> so you started yes. co-hosting the FT's Culture Call podcast in 2019, and then now you are the solo host of FT Weekend. Yes. So what was the inspiration for launching this podcast? Sure. So the show, yeah, was previously called Culture Call, and we. Interviewed mostly big names in culture. It was a very pretty straightforward interview show. People that we thought were pushing culture forward. Um, but we relaunched in September as FT Weekend um, to really be the flagship show. It's kind of a magazine-style audio show. It brings everything unique and invigorating about the weekend pages to your ears. So finding the stories for audio is an interesting exercise, but it's weekly every Saturday, and we usually have about three segments a week, and it's a mix. I both take stories my colleagues have written on and have them on and make it sound rich. Um, I do original stories with my team about cultural topics, but we're really looking to take listeners on a trip, like teach them something new, make them think, consider how they live their lives, that sort of thing. You know, you did a fascinating interview with Malcolm Gladwell, mm. and he explains how podcasting has a what he called a built-in institutional pressure mm. to maintain an open mind. Yes, and it's an emotional medium. Does does that resonate with you? It really does, um, and it's interesting because you can't hide it. Really, I mean, you can edit, but when you're in a conversation with somebody, you can sort of. You're within the journey with them. You, you have to respond. There's sort of this idea that um, news has to be objective. Um, and yes, in many ways it does. But also everything is subjective, even even um, the quotes you choose um, or the people you choose to speak to, like gives any piece a, a level of subjectivity. So there's some honesty in audio. I mean, everything, every episode, you feel like you're there with them. And I think I love so much about podcasting is that it's real deal. It's real. You know? Yeah. And actually, it reminds me of, you know, we were talking, uh, I know that you talk a lot in your show about where you get your ideas and how journalists, and actually, um, although I get my ideas in a lot of the ways that the other journalists um, uh, have suggested on Instagram and um, through friends and in conversations and in other interviews and and in PR pitches. I read all my I read my PR pitches. Um, I <laughs> it's great. It's all it always sparks often sparks ideas. Um, I do also get them from listeners because listeners have developed a relationship with me um, and feel like we're in conversation. So um, they'll often write me on Instagram. Uh, or on Twitter, or on email to say, uh, mostly on Instagram, to say, I've been thinking about this a lot. Is that something that you're seeing? And and that's a really great... So it, it's, again, an ecosystem where like we're all part of this thing together, which is nice. Speaking of the Financial Times content, what is the relationship between what goes into print versus the podcast? I mean, does that content overlap at all? Yeah, it often overlaps. I mean, we want to be the um, sort of the showcase for FT Weekend. So that involves bringing on our journalists. So that means that we're always thinking about um, what stories are coming up. We work in a relatively long time frame, but we're thinking about the stories that are coming up that we have reporters that are collecting audio often from and that would be transportive to listeners or would be interesting or has an audio element to it and sort of would feel like either like a deep conversation or, or journey. And then we also do our own reporting. So I can give you an example um, with a, a recent segment we did with Danny Meyer. Um, 
I was speaking with a publicist at, I think, Resi, who had invited me to a few events, and they were openings or one-offs, and they just didn't really make sense for the podcast um, or for peace. But I told her, look, I'm looking for something different. And and a few things I'm always looking for, I can sort of tell you as well, is um, interviews with big names that are really interesting people who are pushing culture forward. But also, that's not it, right? It's like also interesting angles on things, excursions we could do, dramatic stories about the arts and culture and luxury and food and travel and restaurants that we can tell, um, kind of explorations. And she came back to me to say, okay, well, we're doing this campaign where we're having top chefs and restaurateurs pair up with their favorite classic restaurants. If that sparks any ideas, she sent me a list. Um, And one of the people on the list was Danny Meyer, and he had chosen Spark Steakhouse. And we thought, oh, that could be cool. You know, like, what did Danny Meyer, who's known for being ahead of the curve, learn about hospitality from one of these old school restaurants in New York that like really never changes, that <laughs> probably hasn't changed in, in, in decades? Um, which is the whole point. Right. Which is the whole point. Exactly. So we went to lunch with him and we recorded that lunch. And um, I think it was a fu- it was it was fun for him. It was fun for us. It made for good audio. It was sort of on a slant. So. He said a lot about hospitality that I hadn't heard in other interviews that I think happened through the fact that we were telling it through this other story. Well, and I have to say, we we always learn something from Danny. Uh, we were, you know, very lucky that we've known him for going on 20 years. Wow. Uh, we were privileged to help him launch two bars and a restaurant in New York and Chicago. And we, we always take away something from an interaction with him. And, you know, in your piece... We absolutely loved his observation that his favorite restaurant is the one that loves him the most. Yeah. With restaurants really being in the business of supplying invisible hugs. That's yeah. poetry. Yeah, it you is. Know, and so profound. And it really cuts through a lot of the noise and really gets at the heart, gets at the essence. Yeah. It's just so inspiring. We yeah. love you, Danny. <laughs> and, and also him saying that it's much easier to start a restaurant from scratch than to reopen you know, a yeah. real beloved institution was was very frank and very, very revealing. Yeah. So were, were there any other surprises that came out of that interview? Um, yeah, that was interesting, that point when he said that he actually said like, oh, I hadn't thought about that till just now. But it is harder to open a <laughs> beloved restaurant like Gramercy Tavern than to open to sort of reopen it because people expect something. And and if it's turned over, if the staff is turned over significantly, it's it's it's. A little harder to promise. I also thought it was interesting, the idea that like it was sort of unscientific math that there's maybe uh, say there's 10 restaurants that a person goes to of 10 restaurants, like four of them are ones that you go to regularly uh, or often or are your regulars. And then six of them are new. And you really want to be as a restaurant in those four, like you want to be one of the favorites. Um, Yeah, but I really like because my work it's interesting. I was thinking about this. Like, I'm like kind of a culture generalist. You know, um, I don't have a hyper specific beat. I'm not a restaurant critic. You have some really incredible guests that have very specific, um, uh, like very a deep knowledge into in um, specific parts of the hospitality industry. But I do find myself going back over and over to hospitality. I feel like I over index there in the stuff that I'm writing and, and putting on the show and that interests me. And I think it's partially 
because it's just like a fascinating place. It's a very friendly place, very human industry. The people in it are really hustling. It's really hard work. But I think it's sort of like people are into it because like Danny, Danny put it like everyone wants to feel loved and 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 this industry is creating an environment for people to feel good in. Um, and, you know, everybody touches it like multiple times a day. It's ubiquitous hospitality. So uh, people want to understand it. So it's been a fun thing to cover. So for our listeners uh, in the coming months, what types of stories are you going to be working on, both for print and online? In the new year, I feel like it will be clear how things have changed in a maybe a slightly more permanent way that we like to dig into. Um, I'm interested in how the luxury world has changed over the years and what people want from luxury right now and how that's been upended or has evolved. I'm interested also in, in where the foods and traditions that we love now and that have become hot now sort of came from. Um, for example, like spirits like rum were invented really by enslaved people in the Caribbean who found that you could ferment molasses into alcohol. Um, and a lot of early years of cocktail making comes from that experimentation and that history has gotten washed away. And, you know, it's being revisited now. I'm interested in how that new history is affecting what we do. Um, we just had a had we just interviewed um, Shannon Mustafer, who is the first African-American bartender to publish a cocktail book in more than a century. Um, we were talking with her about that. And uh, that's something that I'm I'm curious about expanding our coverage on. And then also like nightlife, how that's changed and is changing. Um, and I'm always looking for places and experiences and food and restaurants and bars that are exciting and are doing something on a tilt. 2021 was like a sort of like a survival mode for everyone. Yes. Yeah. Everyone was like, let's get through this. Let's just survive. But then 2022, I feel like it's going to be the year of the discovery. Yeah. You know, I think the people are going to be more settled in and and it's more like a you know journey to exploring that things that we haven't done for the last two years. So I definitely see your interest in those topics going to be very interesting to a lot of audience, but also a lot of consumer out there. Mm, yeah, so it's going to be an exciting year. For our listeners around the globe uh, from the hospitality and travel industry, who want to pitch their stories to you? What are the top three things that they should keep in mind? Okay. One would be um, just understand what we're doing. I mean, I love when people have thought about the work that I do, have listened to the show, have a sense of what it does, um, have read my writing a little bit, and uh, and are tailoring, of course. We've, you've talked about that before. Um, when I share with, with people who are pitching me what I'm looking for and they come back with an idea that fits, that's also awesome. Um, if you really believe in it, I want to feel that. Um, you can kind of tell the difference in a pitch. Like sometimes when I'm talking with someone, there is an opening and they're supposed to pitch me. Um, but then there's this other thing that they really think is great or they really are excited about. Um, I want to hear that thing, the other thing. Um, persistence really helps. Uh, if I show interest in an idea, but we don't come back to you, it's just because we get a lot of pitches or I'm also on deadline or trying to put the show out. So kind of make it easy for me to bring the idea forward. Um, we're working on long time frames, so you can be ambitious with your pitch. But like, if we think of an idea together that could really work, like, you know, keep up, hold, you know, um, uh, respond, you know, uh, keep it moving. Um, and then the last thing is just that, like, 
you will never know, right? Like someone pitching will never know what thread is going to interest me in a story. Um, sometimes people pitch me one thing and there's something in it that I want to follow instead. So like a chef's cookbook is coming out. That's cool. I'm not in the business of reviewing cookbooks, but that chef just spent months on the U.S.-Mexico border and found something there that surprised them. Oh, I might have them on to talk about that. So maybe like be clear about the themes that the person or the thing you're pitching fits into, what the bigger story could be, how it fits into culture now or why it decidedly doesn't and why that's interesting um, or how you tell your friend, you know, this is awesome because X over dinner. Um, that's the sort of thing that that really works for me. So we call our podcast Hospitality Forward because we believe that our industry will come back stronger than ever. So what organization or person have you recently seen innovating and moving the hospitality and travel industry forward? There are so many that are doing such outstanding work. Um, first of all, there's big names like, I mean, I, I recently interviewed Alice Waters, who at this stage in her career, like really believes in her mission to bring healthy meals to every public school student in America. You know, she's very sweet. And I think people expect her to just to be very sweet. But she's also very determined as almost a lobby lobbyist in fulfilling that mission, which I found really interesting. And um, also to people like Shannon Mustafer, to people like Migrant Kitchen, to people like um, Ravi Darasi at Overthrow. Um, I'm really interested in how the industry seems to be asking themselves, you know, what am I doing that's greater than just having a business that's doing well? Um, and everyone answers that differently. You know, am I trying to give my staff health insurance? Am I trying to serve less or no meat? Am I trying to give people a platform who are amazing, but the system has worked against them? It's a hard business, the hospitality industry. It's a hard business. I mean, they don't have to be taking these questions seriously. Um, but they are. And uh, and that's really inspiring. And on a lighter note, what's your favorite drink? Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> the cocktail. And, and if you could choose two people, one contemporary and one historic, who would you share this drink with and why? Oh, my gosh. This is a very, very hard question. It's a light, fun question, but it's also I'm going to I'm having like a, a existential crisis thinking of an answer to this. OK, so. Um, I really love bitter cocktails. I will say um, it's hard for me to choose a favorite. I really love uh, Negronis, but I have seen a lot of um, beet cocktails on menus recently. I've had like three in the past month. <laughs> They're great. They're really right. good. They are great. They're great. Make you feel healthy. <laughs> yes. Um, I had one at a bar in my neighborhood recently and had mezcal, ginger, beetroot, turmeric, I think. It was really good. But so, yeah, so I'm on the beetroot kick uh, right now. Um, I'm sure any historic person who I would invite to have a beetroot cocktail with me would be very confused and, and upset by it. I would say um, every time I think of like who I'd want to have a dinner party with, I keep going back to family members. I think that I would love to meet. I never met my grandfather. He survived the Armenian genocide. He was like went through um, just a really crazy life. And so um, I want to have a drink with him. And maybe I'll invite my mother <laughs> to be nice. <laughs> Why not? Good choice. Good choice. As the international travel resumes, what is your dream destination and why? I mean, the one, it's funny. I usually always want to go somewhere 
incredibly new or experience something I never have. But uh, I'm really itching right now to go back to a few places I haven't been to in a long time. Um, My father grew up in Thessaloniki, Greece, which is the second biggest city. There aren't as many tourists, which actually makes it even cooler. Um, It has some of the best food in Greece. um, And uh, it's sort of it's on the port. It's like uh, people are eating and drinking and and smoking cigarettes on the on the on the waterfront and whatever living sort of um dramatic greek lives and it just became the first unesco city of gastronomy uh, my family and i have been talking about how 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 much we are salivating about um the food and and can't wait to go back you're making us hungry <laughs> good and before we wrap up what's the best way for our listeners to reach you um Email is uh, really the best way, so I can kind of keep track of of um, of your pitch. Uh, it's lila.raptopolis at ft.com. Uh, you can you can keep in touch with me also on Instagram. I'm at lila rap, uh, and on Twitter I'm at lila rap. I'm a little more active on Instagram. Um, but if you're pitching, definitely email me. Terrific. Great. Will do. All right. Lila, thanks again for being on our show and sharing your such a thoughtful insights and tips. And we appreciate what you're doing for our community. Thank you, Hannah and Michael. It was a real pleasure. That was an inspiring chat with a truly global perspective. Now that you know what Lila is looking for, please feel free to reach out to her and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard her on our podcast. We have a lot of exciting media guests in the pipeline, so please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues who you think would benefit from the tips our journalist friends share on our show. See you next week. Until then... Join us as we move hospitality forward together.